Morning, everyone, both here and at home. Nice to hear that hymn at a good pace as well, isn't it? Really good. The readings from Exodus, chapter 15, if you want to follow in the Bible, verses 20 to 27, the end. It's after the uh, Red Sea miracle. Then Miriam, the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women followed her with timbrels and dancing. Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them, and put them to the test. He said, If you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs and seventy palm trees, and they camped there near the water. Okay, so uh, let's just set the scene then. The Israelites have <clears throat> just escaped from the Egyptian army and they're about to embark on their journey to find the promised land. Can you imagine the excitement that they must be experiencing? They've just lived through those plagues. They've had, I imagine, tumultuous arguments over whether to leave or whether to stay. There would have been Moses trying to urge people to leave, but there would have been lots of them going, no, no, it's safer here, we're, we're all going to get killed. They would have got really strong, those arguments. And finally, I imagine, you know, they've finally gone. And then they'd make their escape. And what happens, they're charging down, they're getting away. Behind them, they see the, the Egyptian army chasing after them. And they can see that they are going to be caught. Yet, a miracle happens. The waters part. They get through. And the Egyptian army swallowed them. And in the preceding passage, the one that he just read, Moses had been singing a song, leading the men and the Israelites singing this long song. And here we see that Miriam the prophet, Aaron's sister, took up the timbrel in her hand and all the women followed her with timbrels and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted, both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. And that's just the first verse of the preceding song, which is quite a long one, that Moses has sung. I imagine that she's taking and leading the women away to sing, and I imagine they sing it again and again. So they're really excited and full of praise. 
three days later, they're money. They found some water, but it was bitter. What are we going to drink? And Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood, and Moses threw the piece of wood into the water, and the water became fit to drink. Another miracle. And sometime later, in the next chapter, we read, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against, grumbling again, against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to, said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around with pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you, you have brought us out into this desert to starve. They're moaning again. Then the Lord said to the Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. Another miracle for the Israelites. And in the next chapter again, they camped. I can't say this place, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses again. Give us water to drink. And Moses is getting desperate now. He says, why do you quarrel with me? Why are you testing the Lord? I'd imagine you have already seen that the Lord has demonstrated that he will look after us. That bit is my bit there, but that's what I imagine is there. But the people were thirsty for water and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? This is the second time there already that they have suggested that they wished they hadn't left Egypt. Uh, Moses cried to the Lord again, what am I going to do with these people? They're ready to stone me. So imagine, you know, he's getting really worried now for his own life. But the Lord provided water again. Yet another miracle. And you might be forgiven for thinking that these Israelite people were rather fickle or even ungrateful. And, you know, it's easy to praise God, isn't it, when things are going well, but much more difficult when things were facing hardship. And, you know, brought up in Yorkshire as I was, I imagine my granddad's response to this, you know, he'd have a wry smile, a slight tip of the head, he'd go, aye lad, that's the price of freedom. You don't get out for notes, thou knows. And of course, he'd be right, wouldn't it? There is a price to the freedom. And this happens a lot because you may pray to be relieved from work. Your prayer is answered. You have no work. Ah, suddenly you're bored. And you're praying to be relieved from the boredom. No matter what you ask to be taken away, something else will come in its place. And nobody says you're going to like that something else. So, anyway, I was kind of wanted to take a slightly 
softer view of these Israelites. And that's why I brought my little aeroplane along, because we've always, we've, we've always got to talk about aeroplanes somewhere, haven't we? But I'm a, disappoint, a bit disappointed because I haven't got any children to ask uh, those little questions to. Um, but this is an aeroplane. And I think we all accept that the aeroplane uses the wings to fly. The wings create the lift that takes the aeroplane up into the sky. But what about these bits at the end? How about those little wings at the end? What are they for? Any ideas? Pardon? Control. We may use control is the word we would use. That's one thing. Uh, the whole thing isn't there for control, but the, the controls are little bits right on the end here and on the end there. So the whole unit. Any other ideas? Balance is a good word. Um, I thought you were going to ask, go on. Oh, that's, that's the names of them. But you've got the word I was looking for over here, stabilizing. They are the stabilizers. Without them, the airplane would just tumble like a leaf. These provide stability. If the airplane, when it's flying, there's always gusts. The air is not dead smooth, it's got gusts in it. And the gusts knock the airplane off course. That's picked up by these stabilizers. So imagine the airplane was flying that way, the gust knocks the airplane like that. Well, the airplane's still got inertia, so it's still going that way, but it's being tipped up. Air will now come onto this side of this fin and push back and realign the airplane with its original course. So these keep it going in the direction it was going. They are a stabilizing force. And without it, as I said, this just wouldn't function. Out of interest, you've mentioned controls. So the controls sit at the end of the stabilizing port, the stabilizers, and they allow the pilot to control the airplane. And I think the thing that is of interest is that we want our airplane to be stable, but if it was absolutely stable, the pilot would not be able to control it because it would go, I don't care, you put in a disturbance, but I'm going to return to the original track. So actually, we have to have a, lack, a slight lack of stability in order for the pilot to give that control. On fighter jets, they go absolutely the opposite way. They want lots and lots of maneuverability. And on the super modern fighter jets, actually, aerodynamically, there is no stability. It's all done by computers. But this is what we call aerodynamic stability. But it is there and it keeps it on course. So if you get a little bit of turbulence, the airplane just suffers a little bit. But if you get a big bit of turbulence, it gets knocked up, then it takes longer to get down. I'm sure you've all flown and I imagine you've experienced up in the top when it's nice and smooth, but often when you come down at lower levels where the weather is, it gets quite bumpy. And you begin, oh, I hope they don't fall off because we'll be in a bad way. You laugh. They have fallen off in the past. 
And the airplanes have then subsequently crashed because you cannot control the airplane without those. You're dead. So stabilizing force, important. Now, come back to these Israelites. Uh, I've lost myself. Oh, yes. So I've talked about stability of the airplane, but we could also think about stability of people. Can't we? Some people are more stable than others. A little bit of disturbance, stable people quickly recover a normal. Unstable people, more volatile, fly off the handle, but then eventually they come back. There, we hope. Now, if you go back to the Israelites and think about the disturbance that they had experienced, it's pretty big, isn't it? To go through that is a massive disturbance. So I correspondingly, even thinking about my airplane analogy, would expect them to oscillate quite a bit until they got into a stable place. And I think if we look at the Jews' history and how they survived for so long without a homeland, they are as a group of people are pretty stable. So I think, I think we have that. I'm echoing a lot there and getting really loud. Right. So think about that. We take a softer view. So we don't know actually how much water they took with them. I imagine they took some because we do read later that we talked about the livestock and other supplies they did. So imagine they took some water. But after three days in the desert, I kind of would be worried. And I have to say, Margaret and I have seen some of this bitter water in the desert. If you could put that up, Steve, please. And... Uh, you can see that. So imagine that you haven't seen any water for three days and you come across that. You would be delighted, wouldn't you? Yet that water is undrinkable. That water does not sustain life. That's in a place called Madaba in Jordan. And I wasn't a Christian at the time, but I have to say, even then I looked at this and went, have this. In the desert, God must hate the Arabs. That's all I could conclude. Uh, but there we go. I think it's it's uh, it's quite a torment. I think to have that presented to you in a desert. And then, if we think about the food, we don't know what food supplies that they took with them. But it does say on the fifteenth day of the second month after they came out of Egypt. And I don't know how many days were in their month. I'm imagining 28, so that would make it 42 days later. Uh, they were complaining about food. So in the next chapter, but 42 days and unknown supplies, you can imagine that they would be reasonable to start to be worrying about food. But I want to go back to their first moan that one about the water. So after being given the water, God came back to them with a challenge because they effectively had challenged him. So they had tested him and now it's his turn to test them. And we're coming really to the crux of today's message. 
So if you put that bit up, Steve, please. So there the Lord issued a ruling and an instruction to them to put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring you any of the diseases I brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. And if we just look at the word disease, in modern thinking, we tend to associate disease with infectious diseases or cancer or something like that. But actually, it's wider than that. I think it means dis-ease, not at ease, uncomfortable, troubled, distressed, and so on. So it could be physical, but also a mental state. I think we tend to forget that. And this is what I think we're being promised, that God will ease our mental state. And it looks like the Israelites took heed because the following words are, they came to Elim and there there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees and they camped there near the water. Loads of water, loads of, oh, what comes off palms? Dates, <laughs> loads of dates to eat. Uh, so food and water, they were providing. Now that sounds quite relaxed, doesn't it? Almost idyllic to, to us, the little oasis. The question is, what did they have to do in order to get that ease? Go back to that thing. It says, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not blah, blah, blah. It's a straightforward deal, isn't it? If you do this, I'll reward you with this. And I think there's something else implied in there too. Because if you do begin to experience dis-ease, who's to blame? It can only be you, because God, God has promised to free you with it, provided you meet these requirements. So it could only be that you haven't met these requirements. Um, so, but there's also that element in there with a the deal, isn't it? Any deal that we make, it demands trust. It demands faith that the other person will reciprocate with their part of the deal. In this case, it's God. But that, that's enough about the Israelites. That is ancient history, isn't it? What about right now? What diseases? If any, do we have in our country? And we're laughing because we are, I'm going to say use the word plagued, which wouldn't be the right word, but we are plagued with a nation. The question is, as a nation, how are we responding to it? How are we responding to this trouble that we have? And I think you'll agree with me that initially we all followed along very much like the Israelites and went out and followed them. And now we're going, oh, I don't like this. I don't want to be locked down again. And we saw a woman the other day going, I'm not going to be locked down again. I'm 82 or 4 or whatever she was. I haven't got long enough to waste. 
effectively been locked down. And so we've seen lots and lots of turmoil now, just like we had with the Israelites. And as individuals, how are we responding? How are we doing it? And don't forget, this stabilizer. What's your stabilizing force? God. That's what's in this message here, isn't it? So you should be forgiven, I think, for uh, thinking that the world is coming to an end. Um, but actually, what we're going through is nothing compared to what the Israelites endured. We have water. We have food. In the nation, we have plenty of food. I accept the issues around how that food is shared out amongst us, but there's plenty of food. I'm coming to the end now, but just think about faith perhaps in the context of Paul's letter to the Corinthians. As you might know, Corinth was well situated to be a prosperous trading town, and in that sense, things were going very well. However, they had problems. They had big problems. They weren't in the desert starving or dying of thirst or sunstroke. No. Their problems or disease were self-made. They had a disease of morality. They had become so prosperous. And coupled with that, then, they had become totally selfish and self-centered. Does that ring any bells? When coming to the end of Corinthians uh, 1, Corinthians 1, this is, when talking about the gifts, he said, and now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. In some Bibles, it says charity. But the greatest of these is love. Have faith in the deal that we made with God, that he would free us from disease. Hope in the promise of eternal life. And remember, Laurie gave us quite a good preaching on that. Hope and love. Love for God and love for each other. It's important, isn't it, that we care for each other. And finally, a couple of weeks ago, we were in Tembe, just before the lockdown, and I was wondering what I was going to talk about today. And looking down on the beach on the first morning as we walked out, there was that inscribed in the sand, be more kind. Thank you.